right, welcome to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. I am Kyle Bird. I am one of your hosts. With me is... Matt Parmley. And we are delighted to be joined, I think, for the fourth time uh, very by a very special guest. Uh, we have Norman England, all the way from Japan, being very generous with his time once again. Thank you for, for coming back to us. No, thank you for having me. I think it's the third time. We did, well, we did the first one. Then we did, we talked about we subtitles. Did, yeah, that was, oh, I think, then, the second then, time. Then we did the GMK commentary. Ah, yeah. yes. Okay. I remember. It, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> but in, in any case, uh, it's nice to be back and... Uh, Good to see you guys are still kicking. Yeah, and for whatever reason, we have our, our cameras on, so we, we can see how horrible we all look. Yeah, well, that, that was my request. So. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess we've done the other ones with just audio, so like just like disenfranchised voices floating around. But anyway, uh, yeah, so here I am. It's uh, Saturday early or late morning in japan um as the man of leisure that i am i usually wake up every day around 10 30. oh man with kids i don't i don't have that luxury that's never it's like 7 30 no matter what day it is so uh in you're in you're in japan how's the how's the pandemic uh going over there america's on well, fire for many reasons yeah well <laughs> I mean, it's not like the government here is any more competent than the government <laughs> in the U.S. Right. They only somehow managed to get lucky so far that we haven't had uh, a lot of deaths. Um, but ha actually, cases have been slowly increasing. So it's kind of worrisome. I mean, I stay home most of the time. I mean, really, like, most of the time. And... Uh, you know, when I do go out, I go out to the, the supermarket, you know, by the station and I have my bank is there as well. You know, Japanese are already, you know, fine with wearing masks, though I have noticed like I went out this morning and I got a, a cup of coffee because I like the coffee at 7-Eleven. And I'm noticing in the past few days when I've just gone out, you know, like I said, for food shopping and stuff like that, that... Ooh, less and less people are wearing masks. It's still like, huh? I, I would say it's still like 90%, 95%. But I noticed today, like, I mean, I wear a mask every time I go out and it's really no big deal. So that whole, you know, the stuff you see in the US of people feeling like it's an infringement on their god-given rights <laughs> yeah it's it's insane out here yeah i mean are these the same people who who take their shirts off and go into restaurants and demand uh, yeah, to be served and they take so, their shoes off because that's an infringement <laughs> i demand to eat with my shoes and shirt off who are you, <laughs> who are you people i don't seem to remember that ever you know protests against that yeah, so I, I, like i I ha like I don't know how everyone's masks are, but like mine are pretty loose around in the face. I forget they're there after two minutes, and I just yeah, and that's it. And you think all the construction workers and people that work in factories, and you know they wear masks for twelve hours straight. <laughs> 
Well, we're going to talk about stuff in the idol because there's a lot of cool things there. But before we transition to that, um, unrelated question, because we saw Linking Love at G-Fest uh, a year ago. And we need to know, like, what was the process for translating and subtitling that battle rap sequence? Well, you know, well, you know, uh, Kaneko asked me to subtitle it. And, and the film really got a raw deal in Japan. Um, you know, Kaneko's always been an idol guy, you know, like, and which I tease him about a lot. You know, so a lot of his early films were like idol movies and things like that. And, you know, the idol history has gone through a lot of developments. You know, it used to be like the single singer uh, kind of clueless look that women would have. And, you know, and then there'd be like the, the doofus um, guy idol stuff. And that kind of morphed into in the early 2000s uh, with Morning Musume, which were like these huge groups, you know, not just a single girl or something like that. So that's become and then with AKB 48, where they made it more of a populist kind of thing where the fans would vote on who were their favorite singers and then they would rise and fall in importance. So his whole linking love concept was to give viewers unfamiliar with the, the idol culture, you know, let them see what it was all about and kind of show the philosophy behind it. And um, so I know it was a very important film for him, but the company... The, and, and I mentioned AKB48, and the, a lot of the songs they use in the film were actual AKB48 hit songs. So, um, for whatever reason, it, the, the guy who runs, the, the, the idiot guy that uh, created AKB, um, <laughs> uh, uh, his name is not coming to me right now, Atsushi something. Um, anyway... He his brother saw Linking Love and badmouthed it, and then right away after that, the company was like, oh, "We're not going to promote this any anymore." That's how like powerful, you know, these guys are. So they had very limited screenings. I mean, Kaneko was very upset about it. I mean, we went to a couple screenings, um, and every it was always everyone loved the movie. You know, the it's movie a got fun movie. You know, yeah, yeah, I loved. You it. Know, it was a lot of fun. Got, got good reviews and stuff like that. it was just given a raw deal by the the distributor you know they just suddenly were like we're going to wash our hands of this because some the brother of like the most powerful guy in entertainment for whatever reason didn't like the movie so so in so in anyway i mean he he's been trying to get it shown at foreign film festivals so he asked me personally to subtitle it, which was kind of funny because we, the two of us went down to the company to pick up the master reel, you know, I mean, the, the hard drive of the thing. So we go down, we went down, you know, and they made us wait in the lobby. They came by, they gave me a box, you know, I say, okay, I got the hard drive. I get home and they gave me the DCP. You know, I don't know if you know what that is. That's mm -hmm. like, it's like a hard drive that's designed to go into a special system so they can send it to a movie theater. They like they slide it into a slot and then they can project the film that way. You know, I'm not a movie theater. I need a USB connection on this thing. <laughs> so 
so that was like a little bit of chaos. And then they wound up contacting the the editing company and they had one hard drive of the film, you know, on uh, a regular, you know, USB three connecting thing, which they sent to me. I'm like, this is insane. It's like, I've got like the only, you know, copy of the movie of this thing. So, so anyway, you know, I, I subtitled that at home, you know, and, and at first I subtitled it without lyrics because lyrics are a pain in the ass, you know? So, you know, then then he then he's like, you got to do the the lyrics, and I'm like, I don't want to do the lyrics, and so we had a little back and forth on that, and then I'm like, well, you're going to have to talk to that guy from AKB, the Atsushi, what's his name, Akimoto, yeah. that's his name. You're going to have to talk to him. So he talked to him. He he said back, you know, tell Norman he's free to translate the songs in any way he sees fit. So I'm like, okay, great. You know, and then I looked online and I found a lot of fans had done fan translations. You know, like the AKB is very popular in Asia. So there were some sites I found where they had them in English, in Chinese. Some had them in Korean, in English. So, you know, I looked at those and I worked with those. I worked with my own versions of the things because I didn't want to just copy i've had that happen before right yeah you, you know like you mentioned, you mentioned, story, yeah, I, I mentioned yeah. that with <laughs> watching godzilla 1985 no no it was godzilla versus mothra right the lyrics and yeah. then suddenly they start singing the, the <laughs> mothra song and those are my friggin' lyrics on the bottom and and i'm embarrassed by that translation you know it's like the first thing i ever translated you know i didn't know what i was doing it's a very peculiar translation, but, you know, so whoever did the subtitles just, you know, went in, they, they took it from the, the Neil Norman CD, probably. I'm sure they didn't have the, the G fan mm -hmm. issue that, that that first appeared in and they took it off. Like it's some of it, it's not an official translation, <laughs> but anyway, so I didn't want to be accused of doing the same thing. Cause I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that, you know? So, you know, I worked out my own versions, but, and those, were oh and like you had said the bat the rap battle i mean that was like you know first i'm trying to make it rhyme and it's not rhyming you know because <laughs> you know so i mean i just did you know and and those types of things is you know like we talked about with subtitling i mean you, you gotta sometimes keep stuff just in the spirit of the the, yeah. the you know yeah the meaning sense. so i mean that movie was one of the most difficult movies it's probably the, one of the longest, I mean, generally, you know, talking about subtitles, generally a film will be in the range of a thousand lines. You know, I, I mean, I've done, I've had movies where it's been 600 lines. You know, it's like, it could be anywhere from 800 to 1200. That movie was like 1700 lines of <laughs> dialogue I, I remember and, and I, lyrics. We were just, we were really impressed with the subtitles because we knew how hard that had to be. Because especially the rap, like the rap battle scene specifically was just rapid fire lyrics. And then on top of that, you had to make it work within English. And like I, yeah, that had to be rhyme, a, yeah. Um, we had a lot of fun. It was cool seeing Kaneko there because he was in the theater with us. He was at the Pickwick. So it was pretty fun. Um, you know, and I sent those guys, I sent those guys uh, like a Blu-ray screener. USB screener, you know, just in case, because to cover all the bases, you know, like that there wasn't any screw. No one ever sent that stuff back to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Somebody's somebody just like coordinate for the next G Fest. They're gonna it's gonna be well, on I the inside built mean, channel or whatever. Yeah, you know, or and no one ever thanked me for doing that work, you know. I mean, I mean I don't want to go down that road, but I mean that whole screw up. Well, we thank you, you know? and on behalf of the people that were there, we thank you. Uh because <laughs> no, that it was a great experience. I I it's one of the best things that I've gotten an opportunity to do there. Um and uh but let's talk about your movie. So first of all, congrats on it getting a US release uh from SRS. Um how does it feel to finally have that in front of an American audience? You know, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I'm, I I I mean, I made the movie 15 years ago. So, and I'm not, you know, and honestly, I'm really not, I think I'm better at making stuff than I am promoting the stuff that I make. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the, the reasons that it's like taken so long. Is this only I mean, the I, second I just, release besides the, the German one? Right, right. So, you know, I mean, when the, the film came out, we did, you know, I, I shot it in 2005 and then it premiered at Fantasia and it was very good. Uh, in 2006, it was very, you know, wonderful premiere. I, I had a great time. You know, they flew me out to Montreal. It was a, you know, sold out audience, you know, so I guess it was like 600, 700 people in the theater, whatever the capacity was. And, you know, everybody was laughing and we had a great time, um, you know, so... And then after that, I submitted it to other film festivals, but I got very discouraged because and I and I've become kind of like an anti film festival guy because of that experience, because it was like every film festival is always like, you know, how you know, you got to pay a fee for them to check your film out, which can get very expensive, you know, and I. I noticed that some film festivals like there's a thing, a, a, a website called um, what's, it, what's it called? The uh, without a box. So th this is like you can submit your films online to film festivals. And one of the things film festivals will list is if they're foreign language friendly. So my movie is a foreign language movie because, you know, it's in Japanese. So, you know, I sent it to some of those that said they were foreign language friendly, you know, with the fee. And then when I looked at their programming, they had no foreign language movies. I'm like, you know, a lot of this is like a scam, mm -hmm. you know, to get that $30 to $50 entry fee from the desperate filmmakers, you know, and I, and I really just got turned off by the whole, you know, process you know, and even one film festival, and I won't mention the Santa Cruz Film Festival's name, <laughs> but I, you know, my mom was, you know, lived in San Santa Cruz until she passed away like seven years ago. And so I asked my mom, oh, can you send a copy of the film so I don't have to send it d domestically? And can you just write a check, you know, and drop a check in there so I don't have to do like an international money order, which is like, adds to the cost my mom's like oh fine so she sends it to the to the santa cruz film festival and then like a couple weeks later i get this email from the head of the film festival saying oh we got your film and everyone loves your film so much but 
I just have to point out, you didn't put the, the, the entry money in it. So, and we'd really love to show your film, but can you make sure that you give us the entry fee? Um, send it, never heard back from them. You know, and I'm like, you know, and I really don't have the, so I, I, my point of, of this is, you know, I'm, I'm not a very good businessman. I don't like dealing with that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I wish I was a little more, you know, that sure it's taken 15 years for the, for this movie to get out. And I'm very happy that it's out, you know, and I hope, you know, people see the film. I really like the movie. You know, um, it was a difficult film to to make. So uh, just the overall concept of the movie, the idea, how did you how did you come up with the idea? The way that I came up with the idea was first deciding that, you know, I want to make a movie. So that was the first thing. I think that's what anybody, you know, who makes a film, first you have to decide, do I want to make a film? Because making a film is an enormous undertaking. So, you know, the way I've always worked, and I haven't made a lot of films, I'd like to make more, but I've always worked on the few that I have from the, the basis of what do I have to work with? You know, who do I have available to me? So... I was riding the train one day and I was thinking, okay, I want to make a film. What can I make a film about and who do I know and who can help me? And then I remembered my friend, uh, Hiroshi Sagae, mm, you know, who yeah. sadly passed away about a half a year ago. And I'm like, well, you know, Sagae is a good buddy. He's been very supportive. Um, he was one of the first people that was I mean, instrumental in getting me onto the GMK set you know bringing me around introducing me to all the um the art people and and telling them to you know take care of norman he's okay so like you know saga has always been very supportive and he's a figure maker so what if i made a film about a kind of figure you know and i like science fiction so i thought okay a figure from outer space i'll i'll do something with that you know so i contacted saga he was like yeah i'm totally down for making it and we worked together for a while, you know, coming up with designs, but I wasn't really happy with the direction he was going in. And I wanted something a little more um, U.S. stylistic. I mean, I think his was a little cuter than I really wanted it to be. So then I wound up parting ways with him, in, uh, which was, you know, no bad feelings or anything like that. Uh, he's a busy guy anyway, so... And I wasn't paying any money, you know. So, uh, and then I went with uh, Bill Gudmanson, who's based in Chicago, who's another fantastic uh, figure maker. And, you know, Bill, you know, worked for my designs and it took a very long time to get the, the, the design of the idol. And it was fun for me because it was like I never made a figure before. The, uh, in the behind the scenes thing that you thankfully sent us i was watching that and it looks like there was one like you were gluing one of the antenna back on oh yeah those things broke off <laughs> all the time <laughs> oh and i but i do have this one which is this one oh, is there, a yeah. soft one and That's actually cool. i know kakuse just made this at, like he's like you might need this and he i don't know i don't remember exactly because it was a while ago but he took one of bill's 
and he cast it and then he made a, a foam rubber version of it. And thank God he did, because you can see some of these were like yeah. throwing this around, you know, yeah. but in the scene that you saw in the making of when we we're on the bridge, I couldn't use this one because it was too the the it was too close up to it. You could you could see this one's not as detailed, you know, as the other one. Okay, so, I mean, that was basically it is, you know, I, I came up with a story, you know, and I thought what would be what would be kind of like a nightmarish tale for, you know, somebody who is a figure collector and the figure actually winds up not so much collecting them, but being in control of them rather than, you know, you know, us being in mm -hmm. control of our toys. Plus I have a lot of like animosity between, uh, against like uh, toy store owners, <laughs> as you can see in the, yeah, uh, the exchange at the beginning <laughs> of know, the, the movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you know, I, I've, I've gone through, I mean, I guess all of us, if, if we're collectors, you know, I used to be a, a comic collector in the seventies and boy, it's like some of these guys that would sell comics, you know, you know, it's like, so you get like this, like 35 year old guy, no offense to you just having yeah. your birthday <laughs> yeah. at 35. I'll be, thir I'll be 35. I mean, you, you get these guys, you know, and then you get these like me, like 14-year-old kids, you know, like, oh, my God, it's Avengers number 17. How much do you want for this? And, you know, and just looking at you like, oh, Jesus, is this my lot in life selling comics to kids? Yeah, no, I, I that's, <laughs> it's uh, every, most comic stores I went to as a kid, and the one that I still go to every now and then uh, I still I see exchanges like that all the time still it's just part of it <laughs> you Norman you mentioned yeah. you mentioned the comic store but the in the the one scene in particular was that like an actual store or was that just like stage because all there's a lot of really oh no that's an actual store um, and I can't remember the name of it and actually I did a commentary and I did mention that in the, this in the commentary, but I'll mention it right now. There was a, I lived in a town called Shimokita Zawa and in Shimokita at the time was, there was a, a like a, a figure shop there. So I went, I talked to the guy, can I shoot in your place? And I brought him a lot of customers, you know, when friends come from the U S from Europe and stuff and they're collectors, I'd always bring, that would be one of the places I'd bring them to, you know, and a lot of this. So, so anyway, the guy was like, yeah, sure. Fine. You can use my shop, you know? So we're like a week away from shooting and I go down with some of my staff just to like scope out the place, you know, and, and figure out how we're going to set up stuff. And the guy's like, you got to give me any, I was like, I, I, I want you to give me like 500 bucks or a thousand dollars. I don't remember what it was, but it was like this, like the budget on this film is like 10 grand, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, I, I can't, what? Like, what the hell? And he, and I, I, though I do clearly, clearly remember, he said, if this was a Gamera movie or a Godzilla movie, you know, Toei and, and Toho, they would pay me $10,000 to use this place. I'm like, <laughs> do I look like Toei or Toho? You know, you know it's, we're just going to be here for a couple hours. And he was like, really wouldn't budge. So I'm like, screw you, you know, and we went out and I don't remember how I found this place, but I found this place. I went down. The guy was really like laid back and cool. He's like, "Yeah, sure. You know, you can shoot the place. You can use use my place." And you know, and it wound up actually his store was visually more appealing than the the other place. You know, so um, 
yeah, we went in. I mean, it was rather tight. And, um, you know, we shot the place. The guy was happy, you know, and, and he was like, I think the store is gone now. And I remember him saying that he was really happy that he got the place on okay. film. There you go. When you're making films, you know, you plan for things, but you never know what's going to really happen until you're there. I mean, even the script, I, I learned that the script isn't anything really more than a plan for the shooting phase because the shooting phase is the reality phase you know so everything's preparation for entering into reality you know and you try to be as prepared as you possibly can and also be prepared to just improvise you know you know uh, you know for whatever i mean even like other things like bringing God, godzilla down to size i mean we had to improvise a lot on that that's what yeah. I mean. I'm just trying to say, like, filmmaking, there's always, like, these like, crises that you don't expect. But that's the thing, I think, like, a, a good filmmaker, especially when you're working in with a uh, limited crew and limited, you know, resources, that you have to be prepared for the X factor because it's going to come, you know. And actually, to be honest, I like those, those moments, you know. I like, you know, it's like... Uh, you know, like figuring out a mystery. If you're reading a mystery book, you know, like, oh, oh, I got it. I figured it out. There's certain kind of joy, you know, building yeah. a puzzle. You know, I'm really happy that um, the, the, you know, the company SRS picked it up and they've been really great. You know, Ron at the company has been, um, been very easy to work with, very enthusiastic. So, you know, I, I appreciate very much that you know, even even that was they came mm -hmm. to me rather than me going to them about releasing the film. So in that that's my like I said, that's my lazy part. I don't have like I was saying, I, I feel I do have the ability to be on a set and deal with that. But then when it comes to the business stuff, it's like I don't have the patience for that. I, I freak out out over that aspect of it. And I'm not, I admit publicly that I'm no good promoting <laughs> stuff. So. <laughs> So anyway, we all have our strengths. Um, so you co-wrote this with Kaneko's brother, Jiro. What, what was the writing process like uh, for you guys? Well, I mean, basically, I, I wrote the story. You know, I, I laid out the story. I did the whole story. You know, the, the story is my story. And then, but, uh, you know, I, write, I wrote it in English, of course. So I need you know, somebody to write the Japanese script. So then, you know, I contacted Jiro and I was like, you know, Jiro, write, write my friggin' script. <laughs> I didn't give him a choice. So, you know, we got together, you know, and we're good friends and stuff. So um, we, you know, got together, we went over the thing. He, he kind of speaks English. He likes to speak English. So, you know, we go back and forth, English, Japanese, blah, blah, blah. So then we actually, he had this idea, I'm going to translate your script literally. So he did the first version, you know, and I translate Japanese scripts into English and you can't do literal translations. You know, I mean, we have different expressions. Um, English has, is a more expression based language than Japanese. And I mean like that by saying things like, um, you know, I was so angry, my blood was boiling. You said that in Japanese, people are going to be like, what? <laughs> you know, like, what, is that? what does that mean? And Japanese is more like, they call them gion, 
where uh, onomatopoeia based languages. So like we'll say, oh, it's raining cats and dogs outside. And they'll say it's like, uh, what, what's the word? Um, Zaza ame futeiru. And Zaza is supposed to be like the sound of rain. I mean, Japanese do have that stuff, but comparatively, you know, it's less. So Jiro thought to do a script that really reflected, you know what I mean? Translating these things directly from English into Japanese. And anyone and everyone who read the script couldn't figure out what was going on with the script. It didn't make any <laughs> sense, you know. So, um, so then we abandoned that way. And Jiro's like, you know, you're going to have to let me, you know, do it like a Japanese script. So then Jiro did it as a Japanese script, you know, and and I I stayed involved in that process. And um, but I but you know, but Jiro and me we're both like we're kind of politically aligned, and we both have the same kind of, I guess life philosophy so Jiro understood the things I was trying to uh, express in that scene I think he did a really good job on that and I don't know if I've mentioned this before but well when I was working on the film and I'm living in Shimokitazawa one of my 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 buddies in the neighborhood was Takashi Yamazaki who directed the film um Sancho Meno Yuhi, or Sunset on mm-hmm. uh, Always he's done, he, he's done yeah, so much he won, stuff since too he's like a big like he did uh, the Yamato movie and um, the Parasite films. Yeah. Like he's he he became pretty successful. He's a, he's a big science fiction fan, so that was one of the things I did. A, he did a film called um, I can't remember the name of it, but I interviewed him for Starlog magazine, and he was really happy about that because he's a big you know sci-fi fan, and one of his films is released in the u.s on sony that released was, uh, it returner the hell was yeah yeah returner that, that's it so uh, starlog contacted me i said oh you know let's do an interview he was so thrilled you know i get to be in starlog i guess that was like one of his like dreams and stuff anyway so you know we we were hanging out a lot and stuff and he uh I said, you know, I'm going to shoot this film. He was like, oh, can I take a look at the script? I'm like, yeah, fine. So he calls me up the next day and he's like, I stayed up all night and I rewrote your script. I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, what does that mean? You know? So we got together in my beloved Starbucks in Shimokitozawa and he's like, here you go. I didn't get any sleep last night. You know, like I stayed up all night rewriting this. I'm like, okay, fine. So I go through the script and he, and he had like scenes with multiple figures inside the spaceship and they're like talking to each other in their alien language. And I'm like, how am I supposed to shoot this? And he goes, I don't know. That's your problem. You know? So, so anyway, so, you know, but I, I looked at it and I can't remember. I had to look at my notes, but, oh, he had some like good ideas, you know? So what I did was I made these flow charts, like with the script I did with Jiro and the script, you know, with uh, of Yamazaki's script. And I made this like flow chart, like where they came together, you know, where they diverged. And then I, I took a pencil and I, I like pulled out, I, I made my best version from the two. You know, I made my best version from the two. And then I had Jiro put them together. And Jiro was so upset. He goes, 
I am a professional scriptwriter. This is an insult. And I'm like, Jiddo, <laughs> you know, some people, anyone who writes a script, you ask, you know, your what contemporaries, your, your friends around you to read it and give you feedback. Some people give notes. Some people sit down and talk to you. His way is rewriting the whole <laughs> script. You know, I mean, don't don't take offense to it. It's, it's not nothing personal, you know, it can only make the film better, you know? So he calmed down, he did it. And I think we wound up with a stronger script because of, you know, I gave him a credit, like, uh, at the ending of the film, like, um, script editions or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, on it. So, um, and I have to also say, like, one of the things I love in the film, the very ending where it says the end and that changes to endless. Yeah, yeah. That was Yamazaki. That was Yamazaki's idea. I'm like, I'm stealing that. I'm taking that. You know, and that's the thing about filmmaking. Um, you know, ideas come from all over the place. And your your job as the director is to recognize an idea that will strengthen it. You know, and the worst directors and the worst people to work with are people who like, I only want to use my idea. You know, I've worked with people mm -hmm. like that. When I was doing the Sushi Typhoon stuff with Nikatsu, we had a guy that his whole thing was my yeah. ideas because he wants to go and say, I did this. This is me. You know, he, he wants to have his fingerprints all over it. And sometimes in the writing and, and I was in charge of a lot of subtitling and doing PR and he would rewrite the PR or send me something. And I'm like, I've got to change. This, this is grammatically incorrect. Well, this is the way I want it. I'm like, no, but it's wrong. It's grammatically incorrect. This is what I want. And finally, I mean, he got the boot, you know, because you, you can't work yeah. that way. Well, speaking of ideas, were there any films, shows, directors that um, you would say were big influences for this, for, for the idol specifically? No, I wouldn't say anything specifically. You know, one of the things that I don't like about modern filmmaking is when you have like a lot of pre-production meetings, people will, to communicate, they will say, you know, I want something that looks like this in another film. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll reference other films or lighting like in this other film. And it's kind of a shortcut. And I've done it myself. But, you know, sometimes, you know, I feel like it was more exciting to be back in the day when they didn't have stuff to reference and they're trying to figure out stuff, you know, like you look at, you know, you know, you guys know I'm a big fan of universal yeah. horror stuff. And I love watching those things because, you know, it's all like they're breaking new ground with lighting and cinematography, you know, and like and sound, you know, the only thing that really did inspire me going back to the figure was um, the uh, in the 1960s, there was a toy that was put out by color forms called the outer spacemen. And they made like six or seven bendable rubber figures that were meant to match up with the major Matt Mason line of toys, which was very popular around the, the moon landing time. You youngsters weren't around back then. I have a major Matt Mason joke in the, yeah, in the yeah. idol too, which was kind of referencing that. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, so some guy approached, you know, color forms, you know, those things you peel off and stick yeah, around, yeah. you know. <clears throat> so color forms, this, this guy approached color forms. Would you guys want to release these toys? And he made these toys to match up 
because the major Matt Nason had no, like, it was just exploration stuff. You know, this was a, at a time where you could still sell toys or sell ideas that didn't have enemies, you know, stuff like that. So it was, you know, people were still enamored by just the idea of science. Well, that's what people's minds were like back then. So Color Forms decided to release alien creatures that could match up with the uh, Mattel line of Major Matt Mason toys. And there's one figure in that called the, uh, the the Martian character, which actually I have right here. I'm going to show you guys. Hold on a sec. <laughs> now, this is my most prized possession. Uh, I've got it in the bag here. Here you go. Alpha 7. Oh, uh, yeah. See there this? you go. Little, little green yeah. alien. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And see on the, the back here, here are all the other ones from different, like Jupiter and Pluto. And, and some of these are like completely lifted from movies like Barbarella and the uh, the the English one from the early 50s. Uh, the name is not... The Man from Planet X. So some of these, uh, like The Man from Planet X is right over here. And... Um, this angel guy, totally from Barbarella. But anyway, so, you know, I, this is my absolute favorite toy. I found this as a dead stock in the 70s, and I bought it for 50 cents. It's, it's worth like two grand now, unopened. But wow. anyway, this was my initial idea, you know, my inspiration. I wanted it to be kind of like an homage to this figure. So this is, this sort of, I would say, would be my, the only thing that I, pulled in you know from my own my own life okay so how'd you go about assembling you know it's an indie production how'd you go about assembling the the cast and crew and you know finding people like costume designers and so on and so forth well um <clears throat> just like i said earlier you know people that mm -hmm. i know you know oh i know this guy he does this you know i someone introduces me to somebody like my producer on on the film she was a friend of mine from the u.s and she was based in new york japanese woman so she read the script she said okay i want to work i want to be involved in this then she said oh i know hiro the the dp on the film hiro read the script he's like and i saw hiro's real and i'm like oh my god this guy's like a, a real pro you know, I, I'm thinking just to shoot it myself, you know, with like a crappy mm. camera or something like that, you know. But so really, I guess in a way I got lucky, you know, like I got this person involved. They knew somebody. They liked the script. They came into the thing. Then Hiro brought in like a whole like lighting crew, professional lighting crew, like the guy, the guy who did my lighting. He's done stuff like Wild Zero. And, you know, and, and I mean, they're all like these pro guys like the first day of shooting when we're we're at the park this truck pulls up and all these people i don't know come out they're they're hauling equipment all over the place i'm like oh jesus i'm making a movie you know <laughs> like i mean the thing kind of just grew you know and i'm i'm very grateful for that you know and um like you said like the, the costume for the costume woman actually worked at my local uh, uh, a freshness burger. It's a hamburger chain in Japan called Freshness Burger. So I had been talking to her. I'd, I'd go over there and you know every now and then and buy stuff and and then 
she had said to me, oh, I'm interested in doing, you know, costume stuff for TV and movies. And I said, well, I'm going to shoot something. She came in. So I let her just handle it. And she's in the beginning of the making of if if you saw when she's pinning up stuff on the wall. Yep. She that's a uh, uh, Sawadi. And then she went on. Now she works professionally as a, a costume woman on TV dramas in okay. Japan. So she started in on my film, you know. So, I mean, it was really like it kind of snowballed in a way. Um, and you have a lot of tokusatsu names behind the scenes also. Uh, Kenji Suzuki, of course, uh, Yamazaki, uh, Kiyotaka Taguchi, Hajime Matsumoto, uh, Ko Otani does the score, um, Tomo Haraguchi shows up as an actor. Is it similar with them in that, you know, these are all people that you knew prior and, you know, you just reached out to them and asked if they would be available and willing to do it? Yeah, I mean, basically, like like you mentioned Matsumoto. Matsumoto I met on the set of Gamma 3 and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and Matsumoto... It was funny, like, so I'm at Kyoto Station, you know, it's all madness shooting Gamma 3 over several nights and stuff. And and I'm talking to Kaneko, and I'm like, who's this chubby guy over here? And he goes, oh, that's uh, that's Matsumoto. He's like the, the best uh, special effects supervisor in Japan, you know, and he's really good. And I'm like, oh, okay, I want to interview him because that was my, my thing. I'm going to interview everybody. And so I, I go up to Matsumoto. Can I interview you? I'm from Fangoria. He's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I'm like, and I go back to Kaneko. I'm like, he doesn't want me to interview. He goes, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. He, he hates reporters. I'm like, oh, okay. So then, so then I guess it was like on GMK, because he was also the uh, Super Effects supervisor on GMK. And what that means, it's kind of like a liaison between the effects set and the uh, live action set, you know, and, and Matsumoto's thing. And one of, one of the reasons, I mean, everyone's always like, oh, my God, Higuchi's a genius, Higuchi's a genius. And I'm not saying he's not a genius special effects guy, but one of the things that was very important to the gamma, the look of the gamma series was the work that Matsumoto was integrating the two, the two together. Mm-hmm. You know, so Matsumoto does a lot of composite. He's like the composite genius in Japan. So he's really responsible. Like he would be on the, I'd be on the live action set on GMK and Matsumoto's there. Then I'm over at the special effects set and Matsumoto's there. You know, he's, he's racing between the two to make sure that it, things are shot properly, that he can, because he, he has to put them all together, you know, in the end. Uh, that's right. I remember I was on the the train platform coming back from Toho, from something, and I uh, bumped into uh, Matsumoto. And Matsumoto's like, "Yeah, let me take your script." I gave him the script, and here comes the train. He's now like just like reading my script intently, and he got on the train. And then he contacted me the next day. He's like, "Why don't you come over?" So I went over and I brought a bunch of storyboards over. We went through the those. He made suggestions. You shouldn't do this. If you do this, the audience is going to see it this way. Um, so he gave me a lot of very useful stuff. And then I'm like, "Oh, you know, Matsumoto, you're so awesome. 
why don't you handle my special effects on the film? Yamazaki's doing some of my CG stuff, but I need like a guy that's going to integrate some of the stuff. And he's like, are you asking me to do this for free? And I'm like, of course I am. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. You know, and I just want you to know, I get like 500 bucks a shot. And that doesn't even matter if you take one shot and you cut it up. It's 500 bucks for each instance that it appears in the thing, but I'll do it for you. And I'm like, thank you. So, and he handled it very professionally. I mean, we, we, we blocked all the shots off that he was responsible for. And, um, and then he had like, and, and, and Taguchi, and like you mentioned Taguchi, who's now, you know, big Ultraman director, but Taguchi at the time, you know, I knew Taguchi as a fourth AD on Kamiya's, set on gmk and then taguchi was involved it was so funny like what's the film after gmk is um mm-hmm. mechagodzilla yeah. right yeah yeah so so i when i go to the first day of shooting on mechagodzilla oh taguchi's there but he's not an ad he's on the the art staff and i'm like how did you go from an ad a fourth ad which is not a very uh good job but how did you go from the fourth ad to the art staff he goes I had no idea. They just said, you're on the art staff this year. And then he was on the art staff through the rest of the yeah. Millennium series, <laughs> building stuff and, and working things. And I think it was good for him, you know, like, and he, he helped out in other ways in the idol, like at the very ending scene, when you see the, on the alien world and there's an alien sitting on the alien landscape, that's actually something Taguchi took from the Godzilla set was like, sometimes what you do on what they do on the the Godzilla sets for landscaping, um, sometimes they, they have these big sheets that are like canvas sheets and they've glued, like they've glued rock and grass and styrofoam mm-hmm. that they've, they spray painted brown and stuff and they'll just throw it to hide the floor, you know? And sometimes Godzilla will just walk over this stuff, you know, it's like throw this stuff. So he had, he had taken a big sheet of that and then I was at his place. I guess he was preparing to shoot his film G. And he had one of those sheets there. And I'm like, let me borrow the sheet. So I borrowed the sheet. So actually, I guess that scene is that he's sitting on a piece of Godzilla ground, <laughs> you know, for the, the ending scene in that. So, I mean, I mean, that's just, you know, I mean, filmmaking is kind of like that. But But anyway, like I said, Matsumoto got involved. You know, he brought other people in. So... And he, like, uh, I guess Taguchi was doing, like, t- 2D animation. Well, you, you also know. had um, Yukijiro Hataru, who, obviously, Gamera Films. Um, he does a ton of what I would consider indie tokusatsu. What was it like just working with him and having him there in the movie? Oh, you know, great. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I, I guess Jiro contacted him because I wanted him from the beginning. You know, and I guess maybe Judo or maybe Shusuke. Shusuke might, I think Shusuke contacted him. You know, Kaneko contacted him, said, Oh, Norman's doing a thing. Um, he'd like you to be in the film. And then he, Kaneko called me. He's like, Oh, you know, Hotaro is, is, is up for it. Send him a script. So I send him the script. He called me. I re- that's right. I remember he called me. He goes, like, Hi, Norman. Do you know who this is? I'm like, No. He goes, Oh, this is, uh, this is Yukijiro Hotaro. And I'm like, oh, he goes, I want to do your movie. I'm like, okay, great. So, you know, we got together and, um, you know. We- um, well, you also have uh, Takako Fuji, who's 
probably most well known for playing uh, Kayako in the the Grudge series. Um, how did she uh, come on board to the idol? She came on board. I was on the set of the Grudge, you know, the U.S version of the grudge and she's been on Mm -hmm. all of them since the the beginning so i knew her you know i can't really remember when did i first meet her it must have been you know it must have been juon 2 the second one if you've seen the second one which is my favorite out of all of them um the hospital scenes where uh i went a couple times on the second one so the hospital scenes when um kayako comes out and she's crawling across the floor so i was there for that that must have been when i met takako the first time so we we did an interview and we talked a bunch we you know had, had a good time she's very sweet and then i was on the set of the grudge and it was that scene where sarah michelle geller is like looking at the old lady and i think takako comes up from behind her or something i mean i haven't seen the movie in like mm-hmm. a long time but but I, so I watched that scene there, and then when that was done, Takako's like standing over by the concession stand, and so I, I and I had her in mind to be in the film. Actually, I have to say, originally I was going to use Fujitani Ayako, Ayako Fujitani, because I know Ayako, and Ayako is this is kind of she's a bit flaky, or I don't want to say flaky, but she's a bit like unreliable in some ways like i'd hang out she'd be very nice i'd contact her she's like let's go out and then she'd call me oh, i can't go out you know so uh, takako was a, a little uh, not takako i mean ayako's a little like i don't say spacey i mean she's a very brilliant woman very you know and and i like her a lot and i respect her a lot but uh, you know I, I just was feeling like i don't know if i can really rely on her because my movie is just an independent film you know you know, I went, that was part of my thing on the set was somehow I'm going to talk Takako into being in, in my movie. So, so I mentioned to her, oh, you know, Takako, I'm going to shoot a movie. And before I'm finished with a sentence, she's like, can I be in your movie? And she's really great. I mean, I, um, she was really good in the film and she's very positive. And she, and here's another instance too. She, I didn't have a makeup person. And she said to me, do you have anyone doing makeup? I'm like, uh, no. And she's like, well, Satya, who was the makeup woman for all of Shimizu's movies, she's like, I always work with her. Why don't I see if she can, she wants to do it? And Satya said, fine. And she was there, man, this woman was there morning to night, every day of shooting. And she did it, you know, for free too. So there, you know, Takako brought my makeup woman onto the, onto the, onto the set. So that was really great. And going back to Ayako, and I think I mentioned this on the commentary too. When I finished the idol, so I'm hanging out with Kaneko and Shimokita, and Aya came and joined us for lunch one day. And I'm, and the, and she's like, and Kaneko's like, oh, I'm going to Norman's house. He's going to show me the film. So she's like, oh, I want to see the film too. So we went back to my place. We watched the movie, and then Ayako's like, how come I'm not in this movie? And I'm like. <laughs> Ayako, do you remember when I gave you the script and I said, can you be in this? Yeah, but I don't know. Why am I not in it? I was like, I cannot answer that. (laughs) So anyway, but in the ending, you know, it worked out. It worked. And I'm not saying it would have been worse if Ayako was in it. But I mean, that's a lot of things, you know, in filmmaking, you know, you you make it work. Uh, So obviously you 
uh, Bob Eggleton, Fujiwara, and uh, Yamazaki all did concept art for the film. How much of that was there, and how long was that process to actually like from start to the to the final decision before you selected something? Well, the concept stuff. I mean, I did a lot of art on my own, and when it was it came to Bob. You know, I just asked Bob, Bob, do you think you could do four images for me from the script? You know, because I was still in the pro, I was, you know, trying to raise as much money as I could. I mean, this is also before Kickstarter or any of these things, you know? Yeah. So I, you know, mm-hmm. it was yeah. very difficult to, to get money. I mean, I, I put up my own money. I got some money from some family members. You know, other family members were like, no. I mean, my biggest investor was John Davis, who uh, made the um, Jimmy Neutron TV show, you know, in the 1990s. That's pretty sweet. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. So John was great. I mean, I even had one of the I had to apply for and I got a tax exempt thing. So if you put money into my film, you could you could subtract it it from your your taxes and john was great he's like i'd rather give you my money than give the government the money you know so i mean john put up like half half the budget on on the film which was uh, you know i'm still like grateful to this day for john doing that and um you know but it was still pretty tight you know things are you know like i said i mean it was still only like maybe you know like i said ten thousand before any who i you know between 10 and 15 because i was just finding money at the last moment you know and just throwing it into things you know so um anyway with the the concept art that was part of the thing was i put a package together and i asked bob to to do a couple images and bob did some very wonderful you know four images for the film and they were very nice and then yamazaki just did his own things on the on the side um Oh, I did some designs for you. What do you think? I'm like, I didn't even ask the guy to do designs. He just <laughs> likes science. Fiction. Yeah, I'm noticing a trend here. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and actually, I was like looking at the making of stuff. And that last night with Hotaru, I forgot. Yamazaki was there. I can see he's like hanging around in the background for no reason other than he just like he wanted to be there when we were shooting with the alien creature. And he actually came to the shooting the last day when we shot in a studio he came because he wanted to push the alien and he wanted to be an alien operator i'm like <laughs> yama's like you just won the academy award for best director of the year and you push you don't have to push my alien i want to push the alien i want to push the alien so he's like hotaru's like struggling with him you know and that's like yamazaki's behind like shaking the the alien and you know, operating the, the, the tentacles on the aliens. So you guys use like wires, right. For that. See, cause in the behind the scenes thing that you sent us, um, there was like a comment about like the, the wires were visible and I was just kind of curious what that, the, Oh, the well, it was arms. just like, it was like on the tentacle, on the tentacle there, uh, Kakuse made it. So two like pieces of like wire came out. So that could be uh, uh, wrapped around the wrist, you know, so there it looks like he's like attached, like he's suction cupped. Yeah, yeah. His mm-hmm. Hands. So that's what I meant on that was like from the angle we were shooting, you can see the wire, mm-hmm. you know. So because I mean, the things I don't want to say it was like an Ed Wood moment, you know, where he's like Bela Lugosi's, like, yeah, he's you know, like fighting moving, the, uh, moving the tentacles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it is kind of like that, you know? So, um, you know, obviously, I mean, no, I mean, and the, the, the creature that Kakuse made, I mean, that was, in the ending, I wound up paying no money for that. He's like, you should pay me $8,000 for this. I'm like, I can't. How about four? I can't. And then finally, he's just like, oh, forget it. Just fucking use the alien. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great looking alien. I love too. that I, thing. Oh, I, love. Pretty, I like it. Yeah. That, that was one of my designs. And that came from, I mean, the, and the designs, you know, developed, you know, but I, I wanted like the big eye thing. It was something like yeah. I had done as a kid. And Bob also did the wonderful matte painting in the background at mm. the very end on the alien planet. Yeah. And, and again, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, Yamazaki's like, Norman, let me, I'm, I'll make you a CG alien landscape that'll be so realistic looking, you know, you'll love it. I'm like, look, sorry, I'm getting this guy to do me a painting, uh, you know, a hand done painting. <laughs> you know? No, I'll do it for free. And my producer's like, Norman, are you insane? You know, this guy is like the top CG guy. He's going to do you an alien landscape. I'm like, I want to have a matte painting. You know what I mean? In, in it's kind of a traditional painting like yeah. style, you know. And Bob was really great because like if you if you look on the left hand side of it, I have a little bit of a building that that I swiped from when worlds collide at the ending when they land on the ship. They land the ship on the other alien world. And you, and that was the thing like George Powell was very upset because they were going to build a miniature, but they ran out of money. So he changed it to a matte painting. But I happen to love that's my favorite matte painting of all time. Uh, you actually have uh, Shisuke uh, Kaneko credited as a production advisor. You know, what was he able to contribute? Was there any uh, advice that he gave that was especially helpful during the movie uh, shoot? Well, no, it was more like a general thanks, I would say, yeah. because he was, you know, like he was involved in the beginning. Like I said, he he helped me get Hotaru into the film. Um, and I, when I showed him the script the first time, he goes, are you asking me to direct this? And I said, <laughs> no, I'm the director. <laughs> you know? Oh, okay. You know, so no, I mean, he was there. And I remember this is like, we shot all those scenes on the riverbank. It was pretty much like right across the street from Nikatsu studio. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're there, you know, we're shooting the night scenes, which is the last day of shooting you know, on the initial run of shooting, because I had to go and do pickup stuff later on. Like I mentioned, we did several months later, we did the alien stuff in a studio. Um, so then like Kaneko, I guess he called me the next day after shooting or whatever. And or we were out getting something to eat. And I said, yeah, we were shooting on the, the riverbank right there across from Nikatsu. He goes, oh, is that you? Because I was walking by, going over to Nikatsu, and I looked down and I saw this production on the riverbank, and I'm like, "Oh, that can't be Norman's shoot because it's too gorgeous." <laughs> I'm like, "What? <laughs> Thanks." <laughs> you, know, yeah, you know, come on, man. So, but it, no, he he really, like I said, I mean, he was helping out, uh, contacting people. He's always been good. Cause he knows everybody. So even when I've done Fangoria stuff, I'm like, Oh, I want to talk to this person. Okay. I know them. Let me contact and put in a good, a good word for you. You know? So he's been very generous in that way. So I'm always grateful for that ability. So, I mean, I wish I was shooting more, but I'm really, 
not happy with the process of raising money. I, I don't just don't really want to go through that again. You know, I don't want to use my own money on a movie again, you know, and, you know, and there's a lot of, well, of course, right now we're in the midst of like hell. So all productions, <laughs> all productions have, uh, have stopped. And I can only imagine when productions really start up again in Japan, it's going to be, everyone's going to be wanting to make a film, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I just don't really want to get, I'd like to make more movies, but and I've written several scripts that I would love to make, but you know, the, Japan still is—it's like poverty here. You know, making special effects movies are like impossible because you've got to do to get that kind of budget. You've got to really make the film a studio once, you know. And what the studio wants is the most, you know, accessible kind of film you know, possible. So you're going to wind up with films that are like loaded up with teenagers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Loaded up with, you know, humor, you know, and um, I mean, I want to make, I love serious science fiction films. I wrote a, I wrote a script called Invasia about alien, like a kind of socialistic setup of aliens that would go to different planets and absorb them into their kind of, federation whatever and they had finally arrived on earth starting in japan you know and i and i think i would definitely need a kind of budget for the film and i and i i shopped it around for a while but it was really like you know i was at suburaya talking to akira you know who was like i haven't seen akira in like a decade but he was like the last surviving son of uh aging but he was like, ah, we'll take your movie, we'll shoot it in China real cheap, you know, and we'll we'll do this. I'm like, that's not what I want to do. I want to do that. <laughs> Fine, I know. You want to make a film, you know, but I'm telling you how we're going to do it. I'm like, I, this isn't really what I want to do, you know. And uh, oh, I, Originally, I wanted, uh, okay, maybe we could actually talk about this, going, going to the casting. So are you recording? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so um, speaking about the lead actors in my film, uh, Erina Hayase plays Mayuka, the idol girl in my film. And uh, the way that I got her involved in the film was I was on the set of Kaneko's film, Azumi 2, and I became friendly with Chiaki Kuriyama, who, you know, is in Kill Bill. Kill Bill, you know, yeah. And that was, mm-hmm. on the set of that, I'm like, she told me we're out for dinner and we're sitting with each other. We're talking about Kill Bill. And she's like, yeah, you know, I had that weapon that I use, that ball thing. You know, I had to practice for like two, three months on how to use that. And I'm like sitting next to this adorable small Japanese woman. And I'm thinking, this woman could kill me with this <laughs> weapon. You know, she's actually got this knowledge on how to use this thing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get her to be uh, play Mayuka in my film. So I sent my script to her manager because I became friendly with her manager too, you know, on the shooting of that. So I sent the script to them and her manager, you know, wrote me an email back and said, absolutely no way are you going to get one of our top actresses. However, we've got other, uh, many other actresses that aren't as busy and some need the experience. So how about if we get, several of these actresses who are involved in acting workshops together to see if they want to be involved in in your film i said okay fine 
So then they got five or six actresses together one day for me and Jiro, and we went over to their company's called Stardust. It's a big、um, acting agency in Japan. So we went down to Ebis, where the Stardust offices are, and we did a、um, an audition with the only audition that I held for the film because everybody else was like people that I knew and stuff like that. So I,、uh, um, Edina was one of the、um, the actresses. There. So originally I wanted Kuriyama Chiaki, but that's like kind of my big dreaming on the thing. And,、uh, <laughs> but but Edina worked out fantastic. Norman, I want to ask you a bit about kind of just the themes of the film because we're, we're the film seems to deal with a lot of like arrested development and immaturity. And the lead character Ken, he obsesses over this idol to the point where it costs him his job, and he spends all his money on this figure, and is kind of part of that toy collector culture. So, in your own words, can you kind of just explain maybe what you were trying to portray in the overall meaning of the film? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know the 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 character the character with Ken is you know like you said is like a guy you know he's a collector guy, but I've noticed in collecting that you get these kind of flaky collectors. You know, they don't really know what they're collecting. It seems like fun. Um, you know they don't really seem to have a goal, you know, in, in mind. So I thought to do kind of like a parody of that. Like he didn't know what his motivations were for collecting stuff, and、um, and part of the thing too is that you know the the idol. Very, I mean, th- this isn't evident in the film, but. One of the things, you know, when we were shooting the film, that I decided was Ken has entered into an alternative reality. So the idol is actually now completely in control of what's going on, and his reality, when he's in the control of the idol, the idol's manipulating him so everything will go bad in his life, so that he can. You know, get sustenance from this guy's emotional, you know, intense emotional state. So I just thought, like, what, what, what could be, you know, the worst things that you can go through? Like you said, you know, like losing your job, you know, over the toy, you know, girlfriend getting pissed off, you know, spending money. I mean, I think everybody's got that kind of experience as as a collector, you know, hiding. Hiding, you know, the the cost of things from your significant other, <laughs> you know. So I don't know. I mean, I just thought to collect all those little things. Like I said earlier, you know, having like the 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 dynamic between a, a ridiculous collector, a naive collector, and a cunning, you know,、uh, seller. You know, the 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 Tanaka, the 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 guy who runs the the toy shop. So I mean, it wasn't like there was any like deep message I, I'm trying to make with Ken. I just thought it was like,、um, I, you know, I just wanted to have a good laugh, you know, at the, the at, at collector's expenses, you know, <laughs> you know. And and on the other hand, even like his friend, like the Taki, the guy who's on the the telephone, and、mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I just wanted to have, you know, kind of fun with, because you know, like I said, I mean, I'm sympathetic to collectors and. And I'm sympathetic to fans and stuff like that because I am a fan myself, you know. But I mean, the fan world is also a ridiculous world, you know. And there's a lot of like people that aren't really on the ball, you know, in in, in the in the fandom. And and I I 
you know, I, I completely admit to myself being, you know, I've been in this fandom since I was a, a, a teenager, and, and I've said ridiculous things to, to you know, legendary people in the past, you know, so, <laughs> you know, but they've all, you know, they've all looked at me and said, okay, I mean, the guy's, you know, still a kid, you know what I mean? I mean, and so I just Is thought Is there a little have, bit of yourself in, in Ken? <laughs> do you think hopefully not <laughs> you know, hopefully not i mean I, I mean the guy's not like he's not like an idiot or a bad guy you know but i i also wanted to you know show that he has you know he he learns something by his experience you know i mean i don't want to like be giving shit away because i think most people right, haven't actually yeah. seen the film yeah, yeah. you know but but i i i'm, I'm hoping you know i wanted to have you know, one of the things I had a conversation with Higuchi, Shinji Higuchi once, and we were, we were out for dinner and we we're talking about the weaknesses of Japanese cinema. And one of the weaknesses that I felt I see a lot of Japanese cinema where the characters never develop. You know, they're the same mm -hmm. person who they were in the ending of the film as they were in the beginning of the film. And Higuchi's like, I want to make films where characters develop. You know, they change, you know, so he's, he's like, and I, I remember that too. Like, okay, that's something I, I have to do. What can I, what can I do to a toy collector to make them realize not to like toy collecting is no good, but to see that even, you know, you know, to, to, to see that, you know, what they do is something that they like and they should be then maybe a little more appreciative of what, of what it is rather than how can I say this? Like there's, there's a scene where he's talking to Mayuka and I do a little kind of like a joke where she asks him, you know, what kind of a toy collector you are. And he's like, well, I seem to change interest every two weeks. And I'm like, you know, like this. And then she's like, I've always wanted to meet a serious toy collector, you know, and that she's already under the control of the idol. So it doesn't matter what he says, you know, but, um, so it's just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm just having an expense at toy collectors. And I remember some people, you know, were saying, Norman, it's unfair to pick on toy collectors because they're such easy targets. And I'm, I'm <laughs> like, you know, yeah, it's wonderful, you know, so. And I don't want it to be. It's like I'm not like criticizing anybody, you know, and, uh, you know, and some of my best friends are toy collectors. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I, I got toys around my desk, you know. But yeah, I got toys you know, behind but me. Yeah, <laughs> you just but you 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 gotta laugh at it, you know. I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, it's just molded plastic. But but in, in any case, I mean, to to try and answer your question, I mean, there wasn't any like deep message that I was trying to to make with Ken, other than I thought that uh, it would just be fun to kind of joke around with the 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 toy collecting you know people figure collecting people you know and, th and this is also at a time figure collecting's really exploded since then too you oh, know yeah. like I, i've got here i've got the first bondi godzilla figure like up over here i bought that at forbidden planet in new york uh, god that had to be 85 86 you know, and it was like, holy crap, look at this, a Godzilla figure, awesome. So I've got, like, the first Godzilla Bondi, the first Ghidra Bondi, and I've carried those with me. And, you know, I love those figures, but 
I mean, I, I don't know. I look at people who I can't see anything because there's like, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of figures stacked upon each other, you know, and it, it just gets a little too much for me, you know. Yeah. I, and I don't want to criticize them because, you know, it's their it's their choice in life to do that type of, you know, buy that type of stuff. I, I make choices in my life that I think people would question uh, and, um, you know, but still, I mean, you know, it, it's toy collecting. You got to laugh at it a little bit, you know, yeah. you know, and it, especially I just wanted to add, you know, it, it's it's very different. Like here, I'm 61 now and you're going to find guys my age collecting stuff. But when I was a teenager, there were no adults collecting toys, you know, mm-hmm. it was very different world back then. You'll get the adults are more into it than the kids, you know, right. so I would never see a guy like like Matt, you, you know, back when I was a kid, a, a, an adult with kids and they got a bunch of toys on the wall. You know, that was like <laughs> an impossibility back then. So I'm kind of of that generation that grew up where toys were looked down upon. Comics were looked down upon, you know, all of this stuff was really, you know, looked down upon. And it's still, in some ways, it is looked down upon, but not to any degree, you know, like it was back then. I mean, it was all closet stuff. You know, I got, I don't want to say beat up, but I got pushed around for being a Star Trek fan. Like my motivation with the the idol was to make this kind of character someone that you could kind of relate to, but also see some of how ridiculous the whole system is you know he has no philosophy yeah but then again i had the other character taki and you could see he's making fun of ken as being a clueless collector (laughs) you know what i mean so i was trying to balance it out by having another guy who's obviously you know more on the ball you know than ken so uh, if i had more money i could have developed the ideas further but I did the best well, that I could. So, so all these years later, what are your own thoughts of the film? Or, and is there anything that you would have done differently? I feel like you've answered that a little bit, kind of going through the interview. But anything specific you might have might do differently? Well, probably I would go back in time and tell myself, <laughs> "Don't make the movie," you know, because <laughs> it was such a hassle. <laughs> but. Uh, no, I mean, like I, uh, you know, I, I said earlier, you know, I, I look at the film and of course, you know, I would have liked to have done this. I would have liked it to have been like this. I would have liked to have more time, more effects time, more, more stuff with the alien. You know, I, I, I wish I had more money that I could have added an additional 10, 15 minutes to the running time on the film. Um, I didn't really care at the time about the running time. And I never have my movies are all odd times uh, because I don't want to overstay my welcome. I'm, I'm kind of, I've always been kind of a speedy guy with my storytelling, not my speaking. <laughs> I talk a lot here, but you know. But in, in in the films, I always like to keep things really concise, you know. And then I look at other movies, and it's like here's this like incredible long shot. The person just walked down the road. Man, me, I'd cut that out. But these are things that people do to like reach the accepted running time level, you know, and, and the idol is like 52 minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and I, and I felt 
you know, sure, I guess I should have made it like in the 70 range, but I didn't want to do like, um, I, I think it would have made it less enjoyable because it would have just been padding, yeah. you know, and yeah. I didn't really have the money, you know, like I worked on this movie called Temple, the Temple a couple years ago doing stills, a U.S. thing, and that movie, that production was a disaster, um, and it took them years to finish the film, and they finally released it, like, you know, online, and I think they showed it at two theaters in, in the entire United States so they could advertise it as having played in movie theaters. You know, that's a another gimmick these days, but I, fuck it, I downloaded the movie the day it was available, you know, because I worked mm -hmm. on the film. I haven't, I never saw the finished film, and holy crap they i knew that they didn't have enough um, um, enough footage to fill fill out this film so what did they do to reach an acceptable running a running length was the end roll on this movie must have been like 5 or 6 minutes long it was the scroll was so slow <laughs> you know and i didn't i don't even want like to be associated i've worked on movies where the end roll like zips by and i'm like holy crap that was my name i want to see i can't even read my name you guys this is like i'm like watching the movie going up higher faster get my name off the screen you know <laughs> i mean but I, so, so i didn't want to do that i don't i don't i i like to do things that are for the audience you know what i mean and yeah uh, is it has it hurt me professionally probably you know, should I have made the idol longer? Probably, but you know, I still feel it tells the story. You know, it, it, in fifty-two minutes, it tells what another director would have done in eighty minutes. If you understand what I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's really like my my favorite runtime for like genre films is between like seventy-eight. And, and 87 minutes. I know that's 89 minutes. Those are my yeah, yeah. favorite runtime. Even I was talking to, ha, um, to Haraguchi ha, uh, ha, ha, about that. And I mentioned that to him. And he goes, I think he had come out with Kibakichi. And it was over that time. And I was like, oh, should I re-edit the film? I'm like, no, don't listen to me. But I'm just telling you, that's my favorite runtime. Those are always very satisfying, you know? It's like the yeah. films today, the Marvel films, man, these things all, never All movies did. are too long. <laughs> They're all too long. Everything's you know? over two hours. I miss 90-minute movies. I do, too. No, I've been, like you guys have seen, I've been watching all these old Universal films, and holy shit, you know? They're like an hour. They're, yeah, they're like 66 minutes. I'm like, <laughs> this is great, you know? And they tell I, a full story. And I don't need to new, need the little minutiae, what they're making for breakfast. You know what I mean? All the little, <laughs> the little, like you ever see like World War Z, like, and, and Brad Pitt, they're like, like Lego, my Lego, my ego type of stuff, you know, over the toaster, you know, with, and I'm like, I don't want to, I don't need this crap, you know, <laughs> especially in a genre film. For some reason, especially here, people are like entitled to like, well, if I'm going to spend this much on a ticket, like the longer the movie is, the more money, more I'm getting my money's worth. Well, there are people thing. griping about the uh, King uh, Godzilla versus King Kong runtime. Like, oh, I need I need a three hour movie. Like, why would you? Why? No Godzilla, no Godzilla movie, no King Kong movie needs to be even t t two hours, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I agree. I mean, yeah. 
No, I, I actually have to say, because I, I did complain about A Quiet Place, but that had a short runtime. So that impressed me. I well, okay, yeah. It was like yeah, a 90-minute like film, you know, but... Whenever, but I, I, whenever I see anything and it's under... When it, if it's like under two hours, I'm always like, oh my God, you know, like this is so refreshing. I mean, that's the thing. I didn't want to pad out the idol, you know, so... Yeah. I don't want people to be runtime prejudice against my movie. Yeah. You no, know? I, I think I think it works better for it, like you said. I mean, you know, you don't need all that, and whatever else you could have put in there would have been pointless anyway. And, and I, I think that's something you can only do in the independent field, you know. I yeah. Mean, but even so, like I said, I mean, I, I wish I had, you know, if I had like another ten grand, another twenty grand, I could have added, you know, I could have had that time to develop maybe a some additional things or you know really like the shooting was very quick you know i mean we were you know i was doing like what should be three days in one day you know so we really had to you know breeze through that as fast as possible even like the ending scene the last day of shooting on the main shoot with with hotaru we're on the river bank and we've got the alien and i've got to get everyone wrapped by 11 30 everything packed up by 11:30 so everyone can get on the train because if we miss the last train I'm going to have to pay taxi for everybody and that's going to be like 4 to 500 dollars to get everybody home you know so we're rushing around like get this shot did we get this shot just do this shot we're running around it was great i had the, a great time doing it but i mean boy man we were and we were also shooting in the summer so you know sunsets later so we were, we had to shoot a night shoot that we couldn't go past eleven thirty on, you know, but we but we got all the shots in, you know. So anyway, um, all right. Well, I mean that that pretty much kind of wraps us up. Uh, I mean, so the idol is up for pre order from SRS SRSCinema.com. Um, uh, go and place that. As of right now, it's limited edition. So uh, check it out. It's a fun movie. Um, also, Norman, you have uh, some some articles that are going to be republished in the Gamera box set from Arrow. Any other projects that, that you're working on that you want to plug? Well, you know, during this pandemic, I'm just at home writing. I, I write for Egahiho Magazine, which is the biggest movie, uh, biggest selling movie magazine in Japan. And I we had just switched publishers at the beginning of the year. So, you know, we missed like two or three issues, but I'm back doing that. I have a full page in that, which I do. My next one I'm writing about uh, black cinema in okay. America. So I usually write it about 20th century. Like my thing is like 20th century stuff. So I, I want to focus in about black experience movies during the civil rights movement and stuff stuff like that you know some Sidney Poitier movies if you've ever seen black um black like me which mm -hmm. is a very fascinating film so uh, I'm, I'm I do a different theme every month I, I also I just <laughs> completely opposite side of the spectrum I just wrote the liner notes for the Japanese release of Dr. Butcher right so which I, is a crazy movie it's a crazy movie, and I wrote a, a crazy um, article, <laughs> which nobody, I don't think anyone in the world, I actually compared the U.S. and Italian version down to minute details 
So this whole thing is like, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, that's a film that doesn't have a lot of production information on it. Yeah. But I think I wrote a pretty good piece. I've been a fan of that film since it got released on VHS in uh, the end of 82. So I've seen it a lot more than I want to admit. You know, and I also, you know, I'm involved with a lot of Dawn of the Dead stuff here. And I've been trying to uh, get George Romero's um, amusement park released in Japan. I have a company here. So I've been dealing with the Romero Foundation over there. I'll be involved in that release when they finally settle on an agreement for that. And um, I've got a couple books in the work. Actually, I've got a, a book in English that I haven't signed the deal on, but it's going through uh, with a Japanese publisher here about uh, various movie sets I've been on. So not any, not, not particularly one, but like one, one movie set, one chapter. So this chapter will be like, you know, Juon set or, you know, Dead Sushi set or whatever, because I think I have a kind of unusual uh, experience with Japanese okay. cinema, which is, which is different. I don't think anyone... You know, even actors in Japan, I'm not really, even though I've been an actor, I have I, the actor experience for foreign actors in Japan is very limited. You know, you don't really see what's going on behind the scenes. You're shuffled onto the set, you're shuffled off, you know. So I've, I've got a, a, a crew perspective. I've said before, I've written a book, a massive volume book about my time on uh, the GMK set. And, you know, that's hung up in the Toho offices because of photo rights. So, um, so I'm still my, I, you know, I have my publisher in Japan, you know, they've been dealing with Toho. It, it's been rough writing, so to speak. And I guess once the pandemic is done and I can actually then meet with Toho face to face, you know, we can work out what their issues are and then hopefully we'll see a Japanese release of that. And then from there, hopefully one day, uh, an English release. And I may have to just do a release, um, with no photos, mm -hmm. you know, it may come to that because Toho cannot control what's written. So anyway, those are things, you know, I'm working on and I've got other stuff. So no, I mean, you know, just I just want to keep on going and keep on doing this. And I'm and going back to the idol. I'm, you know, I, I hope people pick it up. You know, I, I think I believe they'll enjoy the film. I don't think it's like any other film. You know, uh, it's, a, it's a film I made from a pure place. You know, I made it, you know, uh, you know, enthusiastically. I gave my all making that film. God, I think back my room at that time was wall to wall with art, you know, and scheduling <laughs> and, and actor profiles and all this stuff. It was like, you know, that whole time making that was completely intense, but very enjoyable. So, and I hope that that comes through in the film. Editing was a wonderful process too, very exciting. You know, and and we had mentioned earlier, which I didn't really talk about with getting uh, Ko Otani to do the music and, you know, Ko Otani. I mean, I mean, who doesn't love his gamma scores, you know, his GMK scores? Fantastic. I mean, yeah. if if you've seen Crossfire, yep. you know, that's the a good one too. music in Crossfire is just fantastic. 
fantastic, you know, better than the movie. Sorry, Shusuke, <laughs> you know, but um, no. So, I, I mean, I'm very fortunate again. I mean, working one on one, you know, going over to Otani's house and going through the movie and and going through the points and him asking me you know, enthusiastically, you know, what are you looking for? What do you want? You know, and him coming back and giving me this wonderful score for the film i mean like i you know i'm I'm very lucky in that way and and i and i think it makes the film you know you know his music on the film adds value and that's one of the things we're including it in that is this is a separate soundtrack so you'll be able to able to access you know that uh, yeah because i want people to hear the soundtrack you know and what's interesting about it is he uses sounds from gmk some of the little like yeah yeah, the, they're the, little like the, the GMK. Intro. Yeah, yeah, the little GMK like synth synth sounds on that. So that's kind of fun, you know. So no, so I mean, yeah, no, I mean, really great. I'm really, um, you know, happy that they picked it up. I love the cover for it. You know, I'm not really a big fan of iPad art. You know that everybody does. You know, really glowing artwork. Yeah, yeah. You know? But I don't know. I mean, it really when I I, I got the image there i was so like beaming with a smile you know it was it's a wonderful piece of art and I, and I love you know i love to see that there are other people who have you know watched the film and derived imagery from the film um you know so that it made me happy just to know that there was an artist out there who watched my film and and drew this cover that's how easy I am yeah. to please, you know what I mean? So, so I'm very grateful for all those things. Cause you know, I mean, it is an independent film, you know, it's just me. It's just yeah. me and my ability to beg, you know, is what got this thing made really. So, so I mean, yeah, so please, I hope people pick it up and enjoy the film. I think they will if they watch. Yeah. It. All right. Well, um, Again, srscinema.com. You can pre-order The Idol right now, and I believe it's going to be shipping uh, next month. So go ahead and do that. Norman, thank you again for being so generous with your time. No, thank um, you, you very know, much, guys. Uh, we're, yeah, it's, you know, we're probably a little overdue to have you back, but it's always a pleasure. It's like three podcasts in one when you talk to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, thanks again, and um, uh, yeah, we'll we'll wrap up. So uh, good night, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.